0: Hey guys, this is my first episode of my podcast, Griffith here, and in this podcast, I'm just going to, you know, interview different people about their experiences, their expertise, and just about anything about their life. So in this first episode, we have someone called Toby Muse, who is um, a journalist, a freelance journalist who's had in-depth experience in Colombia with the cocaine cartels, and he's been doing other things. So Toby, you can introduce yourself.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. My name is Toby Mews. I'm a freelance journalist, uh, an author of the book Kilo, Inside the Deadliest Cocaine Cartels, and I also make documentaries.
0: Right. What's your latest documentary that you're
1: working on? Well, the one I'm just in pre-production at the moment, I'm going to travel to New York and cover kind of the coronavirus crisis there and how it's kind of revealed New York City. It's revealed the chasm between those who have and those who don't have. Uh, So, yeah, it should be interesting.
0: And where can uh, people find you uh, or that documentary? Rather,
1: uh, I'm not sure, I'm not even sure. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> sure.
0: no problem, no problem. All right, so of course, you have this book called Kilo Inside the Deadliest Cocaine Cartels, and its description is that it's a thrilling journey inside the cocaine industry, meeting the men and women who live and die in the drug war. So, how did you even get into this kind of um, into this kind of uh, I guess, journalistic aspect? Number one, and number two. How did he even make connections to these peoples? Because I'm I'm pretty certain that if anyone tries to actually go there, you know, uh, they don't really speak to people that often, do they?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, I moved to the work, I moved to Colombia in the year 2000, and so I spent 15 years kind of reporting about the cocaine trade, and right. through that, you make these contacts, and I think it's important to kind of separate a few things. The actual coca farmers who live in the countryside mm-hmm. are actually quite open to uh, journalists. The reason being right. is that they say we have nothing to hide and we want the world to see why we do this. And that's because they live in this kind of abandoned poverty. Yeah, in. I
0: know. For sure. Exactly. The government doesn't care about them and, and they have no protection, right? And exactly. they're invisible as well.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So, so, you know, poverty. Yeah. then they want to show people. But when you look at something like the cartel people, obviously, that's very different. They're very... Um, they're very opposed to journalists, they've killed journalists in the past. I yes.
0: yeah.
1: contacts um, that I had met just again through the work and contacts mm-hmm. lead on to contacts mm-hmm. and sources on to other sources. And uh, yeah, and by doing a number of different stories with them, starting out small, I kind of earned their trust. And their trust being that if they speak to me. I'm not going to reveal their names. I'm not going to, if they do an interview with me, they won't end up in a jail cell because of that interview. I think that's what they're trying to make sure will happen. And if you can, if you can earn that trust, then, you know, um, yeah. And by the way, what you said about other people turning up, what a curious thing has happened now is, in Colombia, because of this boom in tourism, and Colombia is a fantastic country, everybody yeah. should visit it. It's
0: I would like to go to Medellin at least because of the views and you know the culture behind it, etc.
1: Absolutely. But what we're also seeing is we're seeing these criminals from across the world turning mm-hmm. to Colombia and hoping, So I imagine what they're doing is they're thinking, maybe I can develop my own source. So right. we, there was one Canadian drug dealer who turned up. And he was trying to, to go to the zone where I had been reporting from. He got, you fly into a city called Cucuta, which is right on the border with Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And then you would need mm-hmm. to travel about six hours to get to the cocaine uh, heavy zone. He made it about 10 miles outside of the city before he was, bur- he was found dead in a burned out car. You oh, know, well. criminals are, are <laughs> yeah. trying to be smart and sometimes it doesn't work out. for.
0: Them. Yeah, no, no, no. I guess it's the biggest issue is money, right? like you know the money is all that matters for these people but like so on that question now cocaine and people coming to colombia um i have most of my knowledge comes from reading and like honestly narcos is a tv show you know it yeah of course and i'm i I like it i think it's very good right well of course we saw after pablo the cali cartel um most of the drug trade is now situated in Mexico. So can you tell me like the relationship between Colombia and Mexico and how, how does it work in a bigger, uh, sphere of, 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 you know, cocaine in the sense that is it that Mexico is now the port for America in that sense, and it has to start from Colombia, but go through Mexico Does still like, or does it still, or does Colombia still have, you know, um, I guess, I guess important uh, export
1: yeah well there's no cocaine is produced in mexico it's all right yeah exactly yeah it's uh, cocaine's only ever really been produced in three countries mm-hmm. bolivia peru and colombia right. peru and bolivia kind of you know are struggling against it but they kind of have you know they have kind of yeah, at the, moment, the smaller
0: scale yeah
1: exactly and they've kind of yeah. limited it colombia's just going through the roof at the moment and right, so what course. happened is that you have this relationship between originally if you go back to the time of pablo escobar the cali cartel mm-hmm. What these men, and, and they're always men, were overseeing <laughs> is the production of cocaine and getting it into the United States and overseeing kind of um, sales down to like a kilo, down to like half a kilo in places like Miami, New York. So they were they were retaining pretty much all of the money of right. this. Um, so but what happened is the hardest part of the cocaine trip, one of the hardest parts is moving is it in. One- it's that final stretch of the journey we're yeah. actually right. getting into the us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what so what happened is the colombians were seeing a lot of their shipments get stopped by the border getting seized by the coast guard so right. they decided that they would take less money mm-hmm. but by selling it to mexico but more guaranteed delivery the money difference is and it's substantial a kilo roughly these figures might be um a bit out of date but the ones yeah we kind of all use this. A kilo is $40,000 in New York City, $25,000 in Miami. Right. That kilo in Mexico is $10,000. So wow. you're losing a lot, but right. you're guaranteed. And the Mexicans take that Colombian cocaine, and they're obviously, uh, the Mexican cartels are obvious experts in crossing it into America. They've been doing that for generations. Right. So that's kind of how it
0: works. Have you have you been to Mexico or done research there at all? Or is it mainly focused on Colombia? It's entirely focused on Colombia. Okay, I mean I, and I had, at
1: some point, I had thought about doing this story. So my book is I follow the production of a kilo, one kilo of cocaine, right. as it passes mm-hmm. through everyone's hands. Right. And right. I thought about following it into Mexico. But the more I thought about it, what I think important about what I like about my book is that I'm not interviewing any expert. I'm interviewing mm-hmm. the men and the women, the actual people, yeah. the actual people. And mm-hmm. I'm not just hanging but, out with the police. I'm also well, with
0: well, drug traffickers. Well, and then in, how how did the uh... How did the actual cocaine move then from Colombia, but not go through Mexico? Or, or did he not finish up? Like, did he not get to that part where it actually oh, exactly. moved? From- so that
1: was the thing. I made the decision. I thought, if I go to Mexico, I'm just going to end up doing what everyone else does, is go out with the police on some sort yeah. of media-friendly mission, a yeah. drug bust, and they'll show me a warehouse where they And that's not what I was doing in Colombia. I was getting to the heart of the industry, and I right. felt because my lack of experience in Mexico, I would do a much more superficial job, and yeah. I thought it would dilute the work of Colombia, so I just said, you know what, I'll leave it. So my book ends with the kilo of cocaine leaving Colombia and then going out onto the Pacific Ocean as it heads towards Mexico, and mm-hmm. then I, I'm with um, the American Coast Guard as they patrol the right. Eastern Pacific, which is the most important cocaine corridor on the planet.
0: Right. So as 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 the... um the epicenter of the drug trade has shifted from colombia to mexico in the center of mexico now we see all these cartels of course sinaloa cartel seta cartel and a few others actually fighting over the territory to be able to move it into into america has um, well from your experience has has colombia seen a decrease in crime as you know the cali cartel and pablo escobar's cartel has you know um lost its power i guess or actually used mexico instead
1: I mean, I don't really, see, again, I wouldn't frame it in that way that they've lost power against Mexico. I don't think that the Colombian cartels view it that way, that they mm. view it as a business partnership with the Mexicans. Right. In terms of the homicide rate, just to take something like that, the homicide rate has massively reduced from its worst time. Its worst time is the late 80s, early 90s. And right, that's yeah, of course. fueled by that war between Pablo Escobar and um, the Colombian government and the Cali cartel right, right yeah. now. I mean, Medellin was one of the most violent, was, I think, the most violent city. That homicide rate has mm-hmm. gone drastically down. Mm-hmm. But that's. I would say that part of that reason is to do with cocaine opting for a lower profile. This is the difference between the Colombian traffickers and the Mexican traffickers. The Mexican mm-hmm. traffickers are still at that stage of you know, a public face of drug trafficking, their fr- their faces are on the front pages of the newspaper. The Colombian traffickers do not want that anymore. They want to work in the shadows. They now right. understand that if their face gets on the front cover, the countdown to their doom has begun. Mm-hmm. Yes, be, exactly. So they, they now opt for this kind of, um, to work in the shadows, and there's even a term for them, the invisibles. That's the new generation of cocaine traffickers who, who don't want to do as many killings as their previous uh, predecessors. They're looking to stay low profile. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, now next thing I have is at the actual people that you met. Why? Um. Well, at least from my from my minor research, the the actual numbers that they get, like the guys on the ground, seems to be small. Now maybe in maybe in, because of the tra- uh, the um the money itself, the U.S. dollars to pesos is it in colombia what is it in colombia it's the colombian peso yeah right yeah um i guess that that um that exchange might be high because i assume they're getting paid in u.s dollars over time right but why why do so much of them choose this life that ends in you know possibly death or prison um when the money isn't that big for them is it that that's all they know is that education isn't a big factor what is it
1: Well, the money is good in a kind of, I mean, Colombia is still a struggling economy and Mm -hmm. there is a lack of opportunity in many of, I mean, that's really a theme of my book as well. When we're in the countryside where they grow the coca, which is then turned into cocaine, the farmers will tell you that they would like to grow legal crops, but there's just no crop makes any economic sense for them. When you go to the slums of the cities which recruit these young men and women, again, it's mainly men, Colombia is quite a machista society, but when you you have, or the underworld, I should say, the underworld Mm -hmm. is quite machista. Uh, When these young men are growing up, again, they feel that they don't have, it's not only just economic opportunities, because Colombia is such a stratified, classist society, what you hear from a lot of the young men who grow up in the poorest parts is this desire to be somebody. That mm-hmm. just—that's a constant through my reporting. I, so many times the answer has just been to be somebody. So yes. when you were during the height of the Civil War, these young men and women would join the FARC, the Revolutionary Armed Forces, right, yeah. the largest guerrilla mm-hmm. army, to be somebody. You know, it was they kind of—I think it's this thing that the poorest are told that they're utterly worthless, that mm-hmm. they're totally re- re- replaceable, that they're never going to be anyone. I mean, and there's the tr- there's it's the, there's a cruel truth to that as well. Let's not be children and pretend it's not the The chances are if you are born poor in Colombia, the right. chances are you will die poor it's it almost it's so the idea that to give you an idea of colombia to idea the idea that someone born into a slum a real mm-hmm. slum today could become president is unthinkable at the moment
0: <laughs> yeah of course
1: in, yeah just unthinkable. Someone yeah. to think that, um, and so I, I, now hopefully that will change. Yeah. But right so is now, it like
0: a, a 1%, 99% kind of society where? Exactly.
1: It's an extremely yeah, okay. concentrated political power and right. uh, concentrated wealth.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. Understandable. I mean, that, that's, that, that's a problem that's affecting most countries in the world, to be honest. The rich are getting rich and the poor are getting poorer. And, you know, most people have to settle for at most middle class, you know. But there's the thing
1: in Colombia. Colombia is recognised as it, one of the most unequal countries on the yeah, planet, and right. you feel that that middle class is very small.
0: Yeah, and that, it's going extinct. Is it, either you're rich
1: or you're poor? Exactly. Yeah. And what they need to develop is that. And, it, uh, and it's stupid because that what uh, the government itself should be focused on this because that becomes then your economic motor. This is right. deeply unhealthy for everybody to have this society. It's not sustainable. It has mm-hmm. massively high crime rates. It's just the, the country won't progress with a small amount of people, a handful having everything, the vast majority having next to nothing. You, that it itself is keeping the country back. Right. You no, want a middle class to kind of take control of politics, to take control of the economy, to work mm-hmm. for the middle class. And then, you know, the kind of the, the benefits are more widely spread.
0: No, I know um, there were rumors of legalization in Colombia, but did it ever happen? Or you know what was the current stance in that?
1: Well, as uh, it's kind of um, there's it, various things to touch on there. The own you if you have a spiritual uh, if, if coca, the crop is related to your spiritual beliefs. I.e., you are one of the indigenous communities that mm. choose coca, they chew okay. the, coca
0: leaf, um, yeah. then you, you are can... allowed to have yes. a personal. Okay right that if you the constitution but the actual leaf not the act not the not the white powder of course exactly just right. the leaf. okay
1: um then the constitutional court has ruled that personal possession mm. of drugs okay. is legal. so right. the police i think i can't remember what it, it kind of I, I but it's roughly if you are found with one gram of cocaine two mm-hmm. grams of marijuana in theory you are allowed to just the police can't really do anything about that in theory of course they can but mm-hmm. That's really where we're at. Yeah. In terms of legalization, the Colombian president, the former president, Juan Manuel Santos, gave a couple of interviews and he said, uh, and he deliberately, it was very clear he was trying to get a worldwide conversation started. Right. And he said in this, he said, fighting the drug war is like riding an exercise bike <laughs> in a gym.
0: Yeah, you no, I heard that quote. Yeah.
1: Pedaling, pedaling, pedaling. Yeah. You yeah. sweat, sweat, you sweat, and you get off, you look around, you haven't moved one centimeter. Yeah. Eight.
0: Yeah, I heard that quote. I mean, the reality is, it's a trillion dollar—it's borderline, probably a trillion dollar business, right? I mean, there's so much money in it, so much supply, so much demand. But the two <laughs> things about actually, you know, actually legalizing it—that I, uh, you know, I think about this with marijuana, especially that number one—if, if for example, Colombia legalizes it, is the proper money actually going? Two, like how you actually went through the phase of those, of, of coking being moved. Even if it's legalised, are these individuals still going to get paid or is the money going to be hoarded at the top? You know, is like government officials going to hoard that money, you know, through different means by like actually hiring individuals, making sure these legitimate companies now are owned by them, you know what I mean? Um, There could be corruption in the legalisation itself, you know. Sure. I,
1: I would say the first observation I'd make is it's, utterly impossible and it would never occur that colombia would unilaterally legalize cocaine i mean that wouldn't even
0: make it it would make sense sense. it would require mexico at least as well they won't
1: do this without the united states because the united states would absolutely at the moment would absolutely go out of its way to destroy colombia yeah i mean that's just the reality and the other countries i think even they can't do it i think these countries have um have signed these agreements so they would have to revise these agreements and it just wouldn't make any sense. So the cocaine would be legal within the borders, but then it, it just yeah, it's it's not it's not gonna happen in the foreseeable future. Yeah, and yeah. this is a reason why look I understand people who support legalization of drugs. I get it. You mm-hmm. know, there's one of the possible solutions to this problem. And a kind of a global or at least you know a legalization that's in America, that's in uh Colombia. Europe yeah. Europe, I get it. But this is what I would say is that they need to look at what the marijuana advocates did. They spent decades on yeah. this, and this is marijuana. But basically, most people kind of came around to thinking it was a generational thing. Most people under a certain age kind of agreed. It still took them decades. This was mm-hmm. they needed to recruit celebrity advocates to kind
0: of. It, yeah, but it was like, you, need, you need to have like a, a Snoop Dogg smoking weed every day to exactly. make it look like hey, it's not a big deal. But doing that with cocaine is nearly you know, impossible. It's right.
1: They had. Yeah. And they remember, like the whole thing that was I mean, let's remember it was a deception. But the whole thing about medical marijuana. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, I understand in certain cases, but it was an attempt by marijuana legalization advocates to kind of to kind of normalize marijuana. And good for them. Look, use any tool that you have. But it was a deception because how many people who had that license actually needed it for medical purposes? No, Mm -hmm. almost none. It was all about people finding. And again, good for them. The law was stupid. You don't have Mm -hmm. to respect a stupid law in my kind of philosophy. But um But the advocates of legalizing heroin and cocaine are decades away. And I don't even see the true beginning of that movement. And even if I saw the true beginning start next week, I would still tell them, guys, you are 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And that's why if they started seriously next week and they haven't, I don't even see that they've started yet. The theory is there, but there's no organization. There's no politics there. Where's that kind of grassroots, um, and Yeah, they're just that they haven't even started, so uh, um, yeah. and you can see this my final point on this, and this is why I tell them you look, I'm sympathetic to them, but their biggest problem is when you explain to your aunt or your uncle, hey, you know what, I think we ought to legalize heroin and cocaine. Just yeah, look at crazy,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, their face is like, what, yeah, you're um, gonna sound crazy, yeah, for sure. Now, um, on to America because you brought America up in that answer there. Has there ever been any indication that American, or at least any government from Colombia, Mexico, Venezuela, any of these governments, are complicit in in the drug trade?
1: I mean, this is yeah. I mean, this
0: isn't really kind of my expertise, but that mm-hmm. the government is complicit. No, I mean, like from here, see, you know, from speaking to these people, like, has there ever been any you know conversations about the government's role, whether it be you know foreign governments or Colombia's government? I mean, it, I, I, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about the corruption of certain
1: individuals, then obviously mm-hmm. across Mexico or across Colombia, there have been numerous instances of police yeah. generals, of uh, people in the army, politicians who have been mm-hmm. corrupted mm-hmm. by drug traffickers. That's absolutely happened. Uh, and that continues to happen throughout much of Latin America, wherever cocaine is present. Right. Um I mean, we know that there's been corruption in places like the DEA, where people have been, um, agents have been corrupted by drug traffickers. Um, so, I mean, this is the problem with cocaine. It's, it, you know, it has, it makes so much money. It makes it tremendously easy to corrupt people because, yeah, if you yeah. don't accept my set, my first offer, I may, I double it. And then yeah. you don't have that. I double it. <laughs> the amount of money that this business moves is, I'll give you an example. You can buy a kilo of pure cocaine in Colombia for $1,600. If right. you get that kilo to New Zealand, that kilo is now worth somewhere around $240,000, $250,000. What? Wow. what other business on the planet gives you that level of a rate of return on your investment?
0: Wow. But, but, I mean, there's a lot of risk, of course, but I guess at that point in time, too, the risk is kind of minimized. For like those real, you know, the cartel leaders and stuff, they have their connection so deep, you know, and and the risk isn't on them either, you know. And if you lose a a kilo today, you make 10 tomorrow. So,
1: Absolutely. But the risk is real that they are being hunted by the police. They are being hunted by uh, the DEA. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not risk free, but they understand that and they actually... They appreciate the risk because they understand it's the risk that allows them to make the fantastic money. If you reduce the risk, you reduce their money. Yeah, exactly. And so they're actually very happy with the balance as it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, and also they're so protected within their communities that it's difficult for you to, like, have access to them and stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, certainly uh, that is kind of a bit more old school, old style in, in Colombia. I know in Mexico it's a very different thing, and I won't talk about Mexico because, again, as I said before, I just don't know enough about it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that old style that you could, yeah, you know, but we do know that certain police, um, certain traffickers have paid off members of the security forces to kind of wipe their records. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. that kind of those old days when everybody would know the traffickers, the traffickers lived in a big mansion in Cali and no one was able to do and everyone knew they were traffickers. Those days are kind of over. I mean, our biggest, the biggest cocaine trafficker, the old style drug lord in Colombia Mm -hmm. called Otoniel, and he's hiding out in northwest Colombia. And he is that old style that he has this entire region where everybody, not everybody, but so many people are on his payroll. They all, um, none of them will work with the police because they're terrified of being discovered. They all
0: Mm. filter information to uh, the cartel itself. Yeah. But on the point of money then, like, okay, so he lives there. How does he actually get his money? Like, how does his money come back? How does it come through? Is it laundered? How is it spent?
1: Well, it's laundered. There's human cour- couriers will bring it back. Um, so there's all types of different ways that they bring it. Um, there's also laundered through these, um, uh, they call them these, I'm trying to remember what we call them, um, these kind of places that have very kind of um, lax banking. So places like right. uh, these banks in the Caribbean, these banks in Panama, you know,
0: right. that's, um, mm-hmm. we know that yeah. banks have places- to Switzerland where, where they don't really question where your money comes from in that sense. Pardon? Like it's similar to Switzerland and those countries where they don't really question where your money comes from. Is that like those kind of banks?
1: Uh, well, it's, uh, yeah, those are the type of banks exactly that aren't big on asking questions or yeah. the minimal paperwork. And there's kind right, of a yeah. mirror of respectability. But, you know, yeah. uh, yes, but there's all ways of laundering that money.
0: Right. Right. Now, um, let's ask about you personally in terms of your experiences with those people. What was your most shocking experience?
1: I mean, the whole thing is, it's, it's not that there's these individual experiences, it's this kind of dark, weird world of, there's auras of violence around these men and women. Mm. And so it's a constant weight on your shoulders because these, these men just live with violence at the drop of a hat. You never so know what's going Every one happen.
0: of them pretty much had guns in them at all points in them.
1: No, because again, I mean, you know, when you're with the contract killers and the bodyguards, then yes. Um, the drug law, the drug trafficker, he wasn't a drug lord. He was a drug trafficker that I knew. Uh, yes, he often it, it was usually armed. I mean, right. um, but again, you know, it's no. Yeah. I, as long as if he's with his bodyguards, then he may not be armed. You know, if he's right. going out for a dinner or something. Right. Uh, and it's not the old style of AK-47s. That I guess I'm what I'm trying to say is you can't get away with that. now. Yeah, you can't yeah. go to a big fancy restaurant in Medellin or Cali and yeah, I mean, have, yeah. not, be a mafia guy and have guys with AK-40, yeah, that's just yeah. not, I mean,
0: yeah, that just doesn't happen. Right. I understand that. But have you ever had any standouts, you know, experience?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, there's, um, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's a bunch, I mean, just doing these, um, when I was in the countryside in the jungles there, there were these narco militias and kind of was hanging out. Right, yeah, I saw it nar- as well. And they kind of one drunkenly said we're going to kill this Amer- American. They they all just, <laughs> they, they call you Gringo, right? Because, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, and so they kind of had to deal with that situation. There was also an issue where you know someone had kind of given. I, I overheard a conversation that I didn't really want to overhear about the arrival of some people, right? And the next morning the newspaper had that these people had just been arrested. So immediately I was like, this is my nightmare that now they're going to think I was leaking information. Um, And so I kind of had to go, I was cited. I I was, you know, uh, this friend who had been helping me with these people, this person I know who had been helping me with these interviews, uh, immediately turned up to my hotel and I had to go down with my knife in my pocket because, (laughs) um, you know, I'm not,
0: Yeah. yeah your knife your knife will be very helpful against them
1: <laughs> i mean it's all i had you know so I, was, <laughs> I i also was i made the conscious decision you know i'm not going to be taken anywhere and right now to go then at least you try and take someone out with you right
0: yeah you mentioned slums that serve as training grounds for the cartels so what is like the, the that did that seem you know out- otherworldly as well like they actually have you know essentially army training
1: Again, I wasn't able to see stuff like that. And now I know that they will take out um, the young kids out to the uh, forest and uh, the route that surround the cities to give them marksman practice. I wasn't able. Right. I mean, there's the things that I was able to see and there's like things that I wasn't able to see. I don't want to have the opinion that I just got access to everything because I didn't. You know, right. they, they're very, just sometimes they'll be like, hey, you know, yeah, no, you, you can't do that. Um, yeah. Or just timing. Maybe they just weren't training people when I was there. What I came away with, in a city like Medellin, in the poorest slums, I came away astonished by how these gangs have replaced the local government in being the authority. Pretty much in the poorest slums, people don't pay taxes, they pay Um, EVA. Which uh, is like protection, I guess. Well, no, Eva, I mean, they pay the only tax someone who's um, poor in Colombia will pay is the what What do we call VAT tax, whatever, you know. Yeah, VAT, uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That, exactly. on, on purchases itself, right? Exactly. But they won't yeah. pay
1: income tax because they don't earn enough money and then mm-hmm. outside of the formal economy. But what they do pay is they pay extortion to the gangs. Right. And yeah. so it's replacing that and what they call it there is the vaccine. That's what mm-hmm. they call it. Um right. So they'll pay that. These gangs determine the uh the borders of the slums it's gang territory and so there's these what they call invisible uh frontiers invisible borders Mm -hmm. if you especially as a young man if you cross over just walk across that and no one tells you it's just a road it's an invisible line if you walk over You are very likely to be killed in certain parts of that city because they'll just assume that you're from a rival gang or you're just up to no good. And you've just you're you're defying the order. The order is there. No one is to cross against especially young men. Some of these invisible borders, old people can cross because they're obviously not gang members. But young men and young women will be will be shot on sight. So it's also that they, they're just they are the power in these slums and everybody knows it. It's these are things that are rarely said in English. In Spanish, everybody knows it. Nothing right. happens in those slums without the gangs uh say so. If it happens, yeah. that means the gangs have said yes. Right. Oh,
0: that's 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 a crazy way to live, to be quite honest.
1: It is, but you know, I mean the people are very used to it and these these
0: it's this is there a way of life now? Yeah, it's it's, just it's just just normal now. Life,
1: but it's also, it's a very complex dance because, yeah, obviously no one wants to do it. If they had, everyone desperately wants law and order. Right. Right. They, that's not an option. So now what you have is, yes, you are living under the rule of the gang. Right. But the gang are also coming out of your community. So yes, they are preying on the community, but they're also part of the community. And right. that's a delicate dance that people haven't spent as much time analyzing as they should. The same was with the rebels, the guerrillas in the countryside. When the FARC would control a zone, it was Mm -hmm. the sons and daughters of those farmers who were in the FARC. Yes, the FARC would make people do things they didn't want to do, but there was also often a love from the FARC towards the farmer. But then they would also turn up, and they would forcibly recruit children sometimes, so tearing children away from crying mothers. Sometimes they would just receive uh, children who volunteered for it. So it's a very it's it's not as black and white as I think sometimes it comes across. This is this is these are complex relationships.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now my final question, because unfortunately we only have half hour today, you know, hopefully you're willing to come back on sometime when you have more time. But um, the final question is basically, like, you had a hands-on experience with these individuals, and I think media desensitizes people as, you know, um, inhumane monsters. So, like, how how would you describe these people? Were they regular people just caught up in, a, you know, unfortunate lifestyle?
1: I mean, again, it depends on what stage of the cocaine chain you're getting to. I mean, everybody's mm-hmm everybody's scorched by cocaine. No one gets out scot-free. No one Mm -hmm. gets away from cocaine without scars. So even if you are the most innocent part of this chain, which would be out in the countryside, you're still living in a world of cocaine. So these tiny little, um, farming towns become overwhelmed by cocaine and it becomes this process of social decay. Prostitutes turn up. There becomes a nihilism of cocaine of, Hey, we'll just spend the money today because we'll make it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, um, You know, everybody becomes overwhelmingly individualistic because cocaine is all about me, me, me. And that's the Mm -hmm. culture. There's other things. The law of this town, maybe there wasn't much law before, but now the law is imposed. The orders are imposed by the narco militias. These are the people who oversee the kind of production of cocaine. So, you know, it's a downer. I mean, and these farmers are not making as much money from it as they once did. You can tell they're kind of just down about the whole thing. Now, once you get into the cities,
0: mm-hmm.
1: these um, like to, for uh, from from men or women to become contract killers, these are profoundly disturbed individuals. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and that was a delicate that was a delicate balancing act for me as well because I didn't want to be one of those people. I can't stand these people who just go around the world, especially kind of English or American people will go mm-hmm. to a poorer country and then just excuse everything because of poverty no Mm -hmm. it doesn't that way yes Uh, there is this balance between this is a tragedy that a young man grew up in a world of violence where becoming a contract killer is a legitimate profession that's a tragedy but he's still a monster but within him being a monster you can still see some trace elements of humanity you know right. it's constantly pushing back against my last thought my first thought is oh well he's not responsible he grew up in the subs. no he is responsible because you yeah. can't yeah. take away responsibility oh but also there is that, hel- that human element well that makes him more guilty you know it's constant this right. it's a boxing, yeah. it's a chess match in my own mind about yeah. What, yeah. how yeah. much to
0: blame these people and, and i'm and, sure I, I, I assume that past them feels it too right i mean you it, know. It, it, Sorry, I didn't hear that. I'm sure part of them feels that kind of way too. As, I, 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 again, I, I hope that none of them are 100 percent monsters. That they have, you know, some sort of humanity left in them.
1: Yes, but the problem is, is I think cocaine stamps it out because if you're at all hesitate with that triggering, True. you will be eaten by the wolves. And no one, I mean, that is a business that is built on murder. Mm-hmm. Is. There's no, there's no peaceful cocaine trafficking. Right. The, the problem is, is because. It's a business built on greed, treachery, lust, and murder. And so right. you, you need to have, and if you're not ready for that, you'll just be eaten on day one. So these right. are all men of violence, and they all, I think they all have a nihilism. There's a nihilism in cocaine as well, because it's, the deal in, colli- in cocaine has been basically, cocaine will give you the chance to achieve all of your worldly dreams. You'll mm-hmm. we'll have... Phenomenally beautiful models and actresses as girlfriends. You will have a, or you, it, it will give you a chance at this. You can have the latest car. Right. Yeah. You can have this, you can have power.
0: You can have the lifestyle of dreams. <laughs> exactly. But
1: there's a, it's a, for a very limited time. Yeah. And people are quite open about that. So these yeah. Sicarios, you know, when you think about them and you ask them, hey, wh- where do you see yourself in 10 years? I realized that was a very cruel question because they mm. know damn well where they're going to be in 10 years. They're going to be dead. That's where yeah. they're going to be. And there's wow. no other way out of it. And so these that's part of the deal in cocaine. You right. get this life, but there's a—you know it expires. There's a very hard and fast expiry date. And I right. think that nihilism permeates the culture of cocaine. You really feel it, that there's, ah, screw it. There's no tomorrow.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's just basically make this money today and, you know, wherever happens, whatever happens in the future, you know. Exactly. Uh, wow. Yeah. Now, that's a very somber note to end the podcast, but <laughs> I think it's been a good one. Um, yeah. Thanks so much uh, for coming on. You can uh, advertise yourself, you know, where to get the books and, you know, where you, where you mainly work for and write for.
1: Yeah. But, uh, so more information, please go to my website, which is www.com. Toby Muse, T-O-B-Y-M-U-S-E dot And there you can see reviews for my book, Kilo, Inside the Deadliest Cocaine Cartels. It's this kind of, you know, I tried to make it as thrilling and exciting, but also show the human cost. This is not that old academic text. This is not another history of Pablo Escobar, the Kali Cartel. This is something different. It's, it's re- It was written to be as engaging as as exciting as possible so i you know i hope people give it a try all right thanks so much for coming on man no thank you it's been a pleasure really enjoyed it all right thanks